what I want to do this morning is look at Christmas from a bit of a different perspective. Go before the angels came to the shepherds. Think a bit about before what we read in the Gospels. And in looking at it from a different perspective, I hope this morning that we'll see something afresh of the majesty and the greatness and just the sheer wisdom of our God of how long ago he planned this Christmas, of how he was thinking of each one of us this morning. And we'll just be, wow, our God is so great. He is so mighty. And to start off, I want to tell a story about someone who lived under a cloud of impending doom. I dropped Josh off at church this morning at nine o'clock. And as I drove back and looking at the clouds over Kumkarn, the sky was like a gray purple color. And then when I got in the house, the heavens opened and the rain came down. But have you ever lived under a cloud of doom? You've just felt, yeah, Mike's, yeah. I think we all have. We've been in, in a time of our life where we just sense something bad is going to happen, where things are just going to get worse. Have you ever been there? Yeah? And maybe sometimes things don't get worse, but I want to talk about someone this morning where for them things definitely did get worse. So I'm going to start off by telling a story. And the story starts way back in the beginning. If we could have the next slide on, please. Way back in the beginning, before Genesis chapter 1, before God created the heavens and the earth, we read in the Bible that God created the angels. Thousands and thousands and thousands of angels to serve him, to serve his purposes in the universe he was going to create. All different kinds of angels, cherubim, seraphim, living creatures, weird-looking things. If they came into the room today, like Mike said earlier, we'd fall on our faces, we'd be scared, we'd be horrified at people where faces of oxes and faces of eagles and things like that. We'd be, what is this that God has created? And yet, one of the angels God created, stronger than all the other angels, more good-looking than all the other angels. And his name was Lucifer. And he was one of the chief of God's angels. Some people think he was maybe in charge of the worship of heaven. We don't know about that. But this angel, Lucifer, he was one of the chief guys in heaven, commander over lots of the other angels, good-looking and strong. But one day... And some of this I'm going to tell this morning is a bit of Phil Gibson poetic license. So, you know, it's just a bit of an active imagination. But it's what I believe could have happened. One day, as Lucifer was looking in the mirror, getting ready, something horrifying, something outrageous, something that had never, ever happened before in the whole of creation happened that moment when Lucifer looked in the mirror and thought, yeah, I am quite good looking, aren't I? I am quite strong, aren't I? In, in fact, 
Why are none of the angels bowing down and worshipping me? Why are none of the other angels serving me instead of serving that God who sits on the throne? That's what I want. I want some of that worship. I want some of those other angels to worship me and call me the boss around here. And word soon spread. And some of the other angels joined with Lucifer. And they tried to rebel against God. But like we were singing earlier, no plan formed against God will ever succeed. And God gave them the boot out of heaven. But then what happened was God had created the heavens and the earth. And my laptop has just gone off. God created the heavens and the earth we read in Genesis chapter 1. He put man, Adam and Eve on the earth. In a beautiful, wonderful creation. Everything they ever needed was there. But Lucifer was also there in the form of a serpent. Adam and Eve, the pinnacle of God's creation. If you could look the whole universe through, the most godly thing you would find apart from God would have been Adam and Eve. If you wanted to know what God was like, you'd have looked at Adam and Eve. They were the most, the creatures closer to God than anything else in all of existence. And Lucifer, again, was jealous and thought, I've got to spoil this plan of God's. I'm not going to have someone taking the place where I should have been. And we read in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 where Lucifer came in and tempted Adam and Eve in that garden where they had everything they ever wanted, every need supplied, a relationship with God. The Lucifer came in and tempted Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, they too joined in a rebellion against God and went their own way. They'd sinned against God. But on the very day that happened, God gave a promise, if we can have it up on the screen. God gave a promise. This is what he said to the serpent. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And from that moment on, God had put a cloud of impending doom over Satan's head. Because God had promised that there was going to be someone born of the woman who was going to come along and crush Satan's head. And in doing so, the person who crushed Satan's head, he would also be bruised, injured himself. Who could this one be? Thought Satan. There's only Adam and Eve. The woman hasn't had a baby yet. So over the years, Satan watched and waited to see what would happen on planet Earth. Eve became pregnant. She had two sons, Cain and Abel. Anticipation. A sense of impending doom rose up in his heart. Could one of these children be the one who's going to crush my head? 
he watched Cain and Abel. Which one could it be? And over the years, he saw that Abel was the one who tended to walk God's ways, to live in the way that was pleasing to God. And Satan thought, oh no, could this be the head crusher God has promised to send? I've got to get rid of him. So one day, by Satan's plan, strategy, and instigation, Cain took his brother Abel out into a field and killed him. The human race, just two generations old, and Abel was killed by his brother Cain, the first murder on planet Earth. And Satan would have been happy and thought, that's it. No more head crusher. The seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman is dead. I'm okay. Generations and generations went by. Other righteous people came along, but they weren't really that much of a threat to Satan and his kingdom. Generations went by until the people of God on the earth had grown into a population of over a million people in slavery in Egypt. And they started to cry out to God, God, will you send a deliverer? God, will you send someone to rescue us? Satan, again, worried. The people of God are crying out to God for a deliverer. Could this be the head crusher? Because all these hundreds of years have been okay. And God raised up a man called Moses. We've got to get rid of him, thought Satan. We've got to get rid of this one. He could be the head crusher. So under the plan of Satan, Pharaoh killed a whole generation of Jewish babies by getting the midwives to throw the babies into the Nile, to drown, to be eaten by crocodiles. He thought he could get rid of the head crusher, but Moses was rescued. He grew up, and yes, he did rescue the Israelites out of slavery, but he wasn't the head crusher. So Satan was watching, Satan was waiting. He was looking around to see, could this head crusher be this person or that person? Could it be this king or that king? But he hadn't come along. Could it be this messenger of God? Could it be that prophet? But it was none of them. And then, for a few hundred years, everything went quiet. No messengers from God. No special kings. Everything went quiet. It was now over 4,000 years since God had made that promise of the head crusher coming. Has God forgotten? Has God forgotten his promises? Maybe it slipped his mind and I'm okay. But... All of a sudden, Satan finds out that the angel Gabriel, the one who is now doing the job Satan used to do when he was called Lucifer, has been to visit a young virgin called Mary. And she's going to have a baby. And there's angels appearing to shepherds on a hillside saying that a special baby has been born. And there's a new star in the sky. And what's happening? And this baby's going to be called Emmanuel. God with us. This baby is going to be called Jesus because he will save people from their, from their sins. Could this be 
the head crusher, this special baby heaven is a buzz about. Could this be the one who was promised who would come and crush my head? What can I do? So Satan puts a plan into Herod's mind, the king at the time. Again, same old, same old plan. Kill the babies. Kill all the babies in Bethlehem. Get rid of them. We will get rid of this head crusher. But the plan didn't work. So we'll tempt him. We'll persecute him. We'll make him unpopular with the religious leaders. But it never worked. In fact, we read this. Can you put the next one up for us, please, Richard? That God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And everywhere this Jesus went, because he was a man, he was God, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, the damage he did to the kingdom of Satan. Satan had never before experienced People were being healed. People were turning to God. Demons were being cast out. And people were finding a new way to live. And the kingdom of Satan was undergoing terrific damage. Let's have a look at the next verse. 1 John 3 verse 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He came to set people free from oppression. He came to set people free from the power of sin. To set people free from the dominion of darkness and bring them into God's kingdom. Jesus went around healing. He went around doing good. But now what's happened? The religious leaders have got so sick to the back teeth of Jesus that they've arrested him. They've crucified him. Is this the end of the head crusher? Satan thinks. Is this the end when we see him nailed to a cross? Naked, dying, humiliated. Is this the end of the head crusher? But Satan didn't realise that this was the reason the head crusher came not just to go around doing good but he came to finally put his foot firmly on Satan's head and destroy him this was the reason for the first Christmas that Jesus would come that Jesus would be born and that Jesus would die on the cross let's have a look at the next one Colossians 2 verse 15 said having disarmed the powers and the authorities he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross disarmed Satan, stripped him of his power, stripped him of his authority. He made a public spectacle of him. The word means to be openly humiliated, put to public shame and all the irony of it as God had worked out his plan of the ages that a naked, battered, mangled Jewish man hanging on the cross should be the one who put Satan to public shame, triumphing over him. The word refers to when the Roman generals used to win a victory 
And they used to come into Rome in their chariots, dressed in their finest uniforms, with the captives being pulled behind them in chains. And they would have a victory triumph to say, our general has won. He's defeated the Britons. He's defeated this tribe. He's defeated that tribe. Look at our general. And behind him would be the kings and the rulers of the other nations, naked, beaten, and in chains. Jesus triumphed over them. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, we read that through his death, he might render powerless him who had authority over death. That is the devil. So Jesus was born. For 30 years, he lived as a man. And then for three and a half years, he was a terrorist to the kingdom of heaven. He went around rescuing people, helping people, delivering people. And then on the cross, finally, he stomped on the devil's head. Can you imagine how Satan felt at that moment? 4,000 years in the making for the first Christmas. I don't know about you, but we've had a Christmas list on the go, maybe for a month or so. But God's Christmas list was 4,000 years in the making. This promise and that promise coming into the earth, sending that prophet, that messenger, just to give little snippets, just to give little spoilers of what would happen when the head crusher came. And now... The head crusher has come. Satan has been defeated. And then, Easter Sunday, as we heard earlier, Jesus was raised from the dead. And Jesus is alive. Imagine, the devil's probably felt like he's been put in a tumble dryer and put on spin for a good few hours. And he comes out reeling. He doesn't know what has happened to him. All his plans, all his strategies have failed. He looks up and he sees now that Jesus has gone back to heaven. No more head crusher on the earth. And like a whipped and beaten dog, Satan maybe picks himself up, gets out a pen and paper and thinks, right, what do we do now? How can we have some counterattack against this? But what about those disciples of his? What are those disciples of Jesus doing? And he finds out that the disciples are somewhere in an upper room in Jerusalem. And they're praying. And when Satan saw that the saints of God were praying, and when he heard about what they were praying for, a shiver must have gone down his spine. The perspiration must have broken out on his head and he must have been filled with absolute horror and terror as he realized when those disciples prayed and prayed and kept on praying in earnest that something out of the ordinary that had never been seen before on the face of this earth was going to happen. Because... What could the 
devil now here? He heard from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind. There was fire coming down from heaven. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. Just imagine how Satan felt two months ago. There was one spirit-filled person on the face of the earth. And look at the damage he did to the kingdom of God. But now, nine o'clock in the morning on the day of Pentecost, there's 120 of these head crushers on the face of the earth. Spirit-filled people of God who were right with God. And were, oh no, Peter's got up. He's preaching a sermon. And there's now 3,000 of them. 3,000 head crushers on the face. No, a few months later, there's 5,000 of them. The church is being added to daily. The church is being multiplied. Just imagine how he felt. One spirit-filled person on the face of the earth did enough damage to the kingdom of Satan. But now... God hadn't just put one head crusher on planet earth. He's put thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us in Romans 16 verse 20. It says, The God of peace will soon quickly crush Satan under your feet. That word crush... It's the word used for treading grapes in a wine press. And when you tread grapes in a wine press, you know, you've got some French man with sweaty feet and verrucas, and he's there. He's not doing a ballet dance on them. He's crushing them and squeezing the juice out of them. The word literally means to beat to a pulp. So look at that verse. And it says, the God of peace will beat Satan's head to a pulp. Under whose feet? Who's for ours? I'm glad you said ours, because if everybody had have said yours, it wouldn't have just been mine, Phil Gibson. But it's us, the people of God. Because the head crusher has come, God's eternal plan God's eternal purpose was never just to have one head crusher in the earth. God's plan for Adam and Eve was to go out and spread the Garden of Eden all over planet earth. God's plan for us is not just for there to be one head crusher, but to be thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So we could say it like this. How God anointed the church with the Holy Spirit and power. And the church went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil. The church is called to undo the works of the devil. Let's have a look at another verse. Luke 10 verse 19. Jesus said, behold. Behold, it means 
stop what you're doing and look at this. That's what the word behold means. It's like God gets out a highlighter pen and says, stop, pause, listen to this. I've given you authority to tread, to stomp on, to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Joe said it earlier. Jesus has given us authority. And yet the problem with us as the saints of God is we walk into church on a Sunday morning and the Texas guy gets up and said, God's given us authority and we nod our heads. But we don't really believe it. What is authority? I remember some years ago when I lived in Birmingham. Wonderful place. Forget Scotland, Joe. Take your parents to go and take your dad to go and visit Birmingham. They'll <laughs> have a bust in time. But I remember when I was about 19... It was a November night, and it was dark, and I was going to church on the Sunday evening. And I'm driving along in my Mark III Ford Escort, and I'm talking to my girlfriend, which wasn't Lynn. It was, I wasn't too timing her. Oh, this was before I went out with her. I think I'd already asked her out. She'd said no, so within a week, I went out with some others, you know. That's another story. Yeah, move on from there. So there I am in my Ford Escort, talking to my girlfriend. And I look at the road ahead. It's a dark November's night. And there's a zebra crossing just a few yards in front of me. But that's not the problem. The problem is on this dark November's night, on the zebra crossing, there's a policeman. Why they dress police in dark uniforms that you can't see in November, I don't know, but we'll take that up with them. The policeman on the zebra crossing sees me in my red Ford Escort hurtling towards him at 32 mile an hour. <coughs> and what does the policeman do? Come on then, we'll have a piece of me, yeah, come on, we'll have you. Does he do that? Get his shoulder and come on and do the incredible Hulk or Iron Man. What did the policeman do? He just went, stop. And now this guy, physically, he hadn't got the power to stop me in my escort. If I wanted to, I could have put the pedal to the floor and down I went. I've got to get to church. I ain't got time to stop for anyone. And I could have been sitting there in church on the Sunday night. And next thing I know, there's a SWAT team surrounded the church because I've just run over a policeman. You know, you've got MacGyver there. You've got the SWAT team. You can tell what we watch on television. You know, you've got the man in the suit there and everybody. Because we've just... Because if you disobey the police, you're disobeying the authority of the land and you're going to get in trouble with the boss. The policeman hadn't got any physical power to do that. But what he'd got was a badge. And that badge meant, I'm a policeman. <laughs> you stop or you're going to have to deal with a higher authority than me. So I stopped. I got out of the car. He must have seen me. I was shaking like a leaf. And he was more concerned about me than I was about him. Went to the police station, showed them a license and all was okay. And everything. No points or anything which was a good thing. 
And that's the way it is with us. We don't have to feel anything. We don't have to have any special tingles down our back. We don't even have to start shouting in a funny voice. But all we need is a badge of authority saying we're a Christian. And this is our letter of authority. And we can put our hand up and we can say, stop! No more. Because I don't know about you, but I know what it is to live in times of fear, anxiety. I remember one time when I was long-term unemployed for two and a half years. And every fortnight I'd have to go and sign on at Blackwood Job Centre. And yet God had called me from Thailand to work in the church here. And now here I was going to sign on every two weeks because I'm unemployed. And every fortnight it felt I walked from that job centre up the hill to my car. And there was a little imp on my shoulder laughing at me, mocking me, taking the mickey out of me and saying, look at you. God's man of faith and power. Thought you'd come back from Thailand and do something in South Wales. Look at you now. Haven't even got enough money to pay the bills. I know what it's like to not know how the bills are going to be paid. I know what it's like to have chronic pain and to be scared of that and wonder if I will ever get better again. I know what it is to face mountains of difficulty. But I also know that God has sent a head crusher who has stomped Satan's head and is now said to me, Phil, you go out with the same power of the Holy Spirit and you go and stomp his head as well. You go and beat him to a pulp. I've already done it once. You go and do it again. And I know what it is in the moments of my deepest desperation to be able to physically sometimes to stand there in my room at home and say, no, enough. This stops right now. And the situation might not change. But as somebody said earlier, the atmosphere around you changes because you've now taken authority in that mighty name of Jesus. You know what it is for the Spirit of God to rise up within you. I know what it's like as a married man to go to bed still having nightmares because of stuff that's gone on when I was a kid. And yet God too intervene and no more nightmares ever again I know what it's like for God to step in in situations like that we don't have to wait for the feelings you look at that policeman put his hand up to Phil Gibson coming down the road in his Ford Escort and he doesn't sort of oh, I don't feel like it there's two of them in that car it's bigger than me but oh well here we go he just Stop! And I stopped. Because behind him wasn't Braun Strowman or Hulk Hogan. Shout out there for Rich. But behind him was the authority of the Queen of Britain. 
And when we have to face situations, whether it's panic attacks, whether it's temptation that has dogged us for years, whether it's fear, and I'm not saying come to Jesus and he will make you rich, but Jesus can take away and break that yoke where you're just held in fear of not having the money because that's important to have that broken first and God will provide your needs day by day by day. We need to know what it is as the people of God to say, I don't feel anything, I haven't got any goosebumps, I'm not in church, but stop, this situation stops here because the head crusher has come he has stomped on satan's head and in doing so he got bruised himself jesus did he got whipped he got beaten he got mangled but he's the one who rose from the dead and is now victorious and seated at the right hand of god satan he was left reeling and the church over the world is multiplying and God's intent for us this Christmas is much more for, than us getting excited over the prospect of a baby in a manger. Because the gospel doesn't start at Matthew 1 verse 1. The gospel, the good news, started there in the Garden of Eden. When man first rebelled against God. When Satan was gloating at the thought of God's plan ruined. And God said, I'm going to wipe that smile off your face. Because I'm going to send someone. He's going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel. But he's going to crush your head. And in doing so, those head crushers would be multiplied in the earth. And I know for me this morning, I felt uneasy in the preparation of this sermon because the first part of it essentially was a lot about the devil. And I don't like talking about him because, you know, but we shouldn't ignore him either. But I hope at the end of the sermon this morning, you're not going away fearful because of demonic powers but you're going home empowered. Let's have a look at the next verse, please, Rich. Is it there? Romans 16. Maybe it's not there. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon, quickly, not going to take a long time in doing it. Crush and beat Satan's head to a pulp. Not under Jesus' feet, but under your feet, Chloe. Under your feet, Chris. Under your feet, Mike. And I don't know everybody's name, so I'm just going to say it applies to you. This God of peace, because the head crusher has come. He's now given you that badge so you can rise up and say, no, I'm walking free from this. The situation may take time to change, but that cloud over your head, that sense of, 
this is never going to turn out good. That can be broken. Because this Christmas, we can celebrate the head crusher has come. God kept his promise and it took him 4,000 years to work out the intricacies. But God is faithful. And God is faithful to his word to each one of us today. The God of peace will beat Satan's head to a pulp underneath your feet. Amen.